Welcome to System Mastery, the podcast where we beat a dead horse 1d6 hard dice at a time. Look, we like our dice hard around here. We like to gobble the hard dice, and we're not above a little wiggle. Love to squish die those wiggle dice before the nice wide hard dice sets show up. It's godlike, and honestly, I didn't have the energy to do a whole World War II thing here. So, System Mastery! Welcome back to System Mastery. I'm your host, Jeff, joined as always by your host, John. And if you're curious, based on that intro, about the height of our hard dice, it's always 10. It's a nice, thick 10. How you doing, John? Oh, I'm good. But that's, uh, that's a high 10. That's a high 10? Yeah, if it was a thick 10. Well, it's both. I, I bought a lot of hard dice, so I have a wide, hard, high 10. Wide, hard, <laughs> wet, <laughs> bald, <laughs> so uh, godlike. I mean, ultimately, we could dither a little bit more before we start talking about Godlike if you want. How yeah, you doing? I mean, I can always dither. The thing is, we just recorded Afterthought and System Mastery Positive, so all of our like banter energy has been spent on something else. Oh, we got big banter energy. I mean, we never are going to run out of actual banter energy. We can probably just talk about anything instead. Oh, yeah. So I'm not, I'm not worried about that at all. But Godlike, John. Godlike. Godlike is a game that has a kind of following. It's a popular thing. Yeah. Um, I've been saving this one because we've had it for a bit, uh, and it's one of those ones where I'm like, okay, I know that this has people that are super into it. Mm -hmm. Uh, I knew a fairly decent amount about it going in just because, uh, a lot of RPG threads and stuff will bring it up from time to time, but I feel like now's a good time to, to really dig into it. I feel like I didn't look it up because we don't do research here. That's not our job. No, we are not in the business of doing research. We only read, uh, maybe we should re reiterate this from time to time. We only read the core book and then talk about what we read because otherwise we would never be able to do an effective review. Yeah. I uh, can't go out and be like, all right, well, what kind of context did this have? And was an, was there a, a splat book that changed the things that I don't like from this book? And yeah yeah no i'm just maybe going someone off of this went book. on reddit and fixed everything about this and it was the author of the book and i'm like no i can't i, I it has to be the book or else we'll never it, it, people just keep moving the goalposts it's true we'll get no true scotsman to death if we don't <laughs> just read the books uh so yeah no research no research and i was wondering if there was a another edition because this is the first edition of godlike but i'm not sure if there is a godlike second edition I don't know either. I wish I could tell you the answer to that. Uh, this book has a very clear dichotomy to it in terms of who wrote the story and then who took the story and built rules into it. Yeah, because the, the book has uh, rules by Stolze and then the actual like background story stuff by is... By Dennis Detweiler. Detweiler. Yeah. So they, they, he, he shotgunned Stolze in there to, to do the rules for it. And honestly, the rules are kind of neat. There's a lot of cool ideas inherent to the early kind of first 30 or so pages of this book. Uh, but to give you a very clear rundown of what it is, it's super-powered World War II. Yeah. This is uh, what if super people showed up during World War II, and <sighs> that's not all that it is, but it is a 
it's the elevator pitch, that's, basically. I mean, that's most of it. That's for sure. It, yeah. it is predominantly what if World War II had a lot of super dudes. And we're going to talk about the extrapolations and the alternate history aspects of this, because this really is kind of a, an alt-history novel as a role-playing game. See, the problem I have, right off the bat, and I do like the game, like we were saying, there's some good mechanical stuff in there, mm-hmm. and there's some interesting ideas presented. Sure. But one of the very first things, like the first few pages, there's a few paragraphs on like, what are modern games like nowadays, and how can we make that better, and what do I like oh, and dislike. Right. There's a there's an opening crawl by Detweiler and or Stoltze where he's like talking about the mechanics of games these days, right? And the big one for me is, he's like, oh, you know what I hate nowadays? Meta plot. You got to buy all these books and it just tells you what everything is and you don't get to affect anything yeah fuck I the hate, forgotten realms am i right i hate meta plot I mean, anyway yeah. here's an entire day-by-day breakdown of everything that happens in world war ii and everyone involved with it and going on into the future and nowadays i think the next page after the i hate meta plot rant because this is the first time you see the strong meta plot. If you turn the page past the I hate plot, meta plot rant, you'll see a table of when each country involved in World War II got its first superpowered guy and an exact date of when that occurred. And then a note underneath that says, so make sure your players don't create any superhero from this country before this date. Yeah. And you're like, isn't that isn't that meta plot? Am I? That's very meta plot. Because <laughs> yeah. not only does it mean, oh, well, what if I wanted to set my game in, like, the very early days of the war. You're like, oh, well, the only person you could be is a Nazi or a British person, and that's, like, it. Yeah, and there's there's a several-month difference between when the first person and the second person get their powers. So the first guy to pick up any kind of superpowers in this world, and we'll start with a little bit of introduction to the story, I guess, is uh, a German dude who goes by the code name Der Flieger, the flying man, and he has his powers as early as 1936. Yeah, he shows up at the Olympics and is like, hello, I can fly. And that's the first example of of a bit of revisionist or or alternate history is this flying guy so pleases Hitler that he's able to show off that he has a flying man that he doesn't even care that like Jesse Owens wins a whole bunch. Yeah, he's like cordial to Jesse Owens and he stays there and applauds him and stuff. He's like, ah, that's nice. You can run fast, but can you fly? No, only Aryans can fly. Yeah. Uh, it'll kick off a running theme that, that Hitler in this book is so dumb. I mean, I know historically we like to kind of make Hitler dumber and dumber with each passing decade, but in this book they really lean into the Hitler was a terrible general and a bad idea man and oh yeah, it's, and refused to hear bad things. He has the idea in his head that superpowers only exist within the Reich, and so he will, like... I guess, demote or murder anyone who tries to tell him, oh, yeah, there's this British super guy that is fucking our stuff up. And he'll be like, no, there isn't, because only Aryans. Anyway, I'll be in my ridiculous bunker shoving light bulbs in my butt. I'm Hitler. Anyone who's not shoving light bulbs in their butt can leave the room. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah, it's, uh, it's, it's, uh, it's a take. I mean, I'm not going to say it's a bad take on Hitler. If you want to make Hitler into a the dumb baby of history, fine. I don't care. Yeah, I'm not going to bat for Hitler. I'm not. I'm not. Yeah, exactly. I'm not, I'm not on Hitler's side. I am at least glad that we don't get a bunch of stuff about how he had a weird dick in this book because I, I get that enough in other sources of World War. They're like, oh yeah, his dick had the the hole was in the wrong spot. <laughs> it was like a flute. <laughs> the thing that I was amazed didn't show up in this 
was the whole Hitler was super into like weird mysticism and stuff. Yeah, it's surprising that that doesn't show up. They kind of route some of that over to Stalin instead. Yeah, but it's weird that they weren't, because that's what a lot of people do with Hitler. Is, when you do Weird War Two specifically. Yeah, they're like, oh, Hitler kept going to look for like, I don't know, the Lance of Longinus and shit like that. Mm-hmm. And and in this that 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 stuff gets no mention. The whole the whole German part of the Reich, uh, Reich that was dedicated to going out and looking for artifacts and researching psychic powers and junk is just gone. Yeah, now there's just the uh, they make like some group for superpowers, and I forget what it's called. Oh, Each uh, country has their own study superpowers. It's group. like Rush A Hop Group A. a it's it's a complicated. Oh yes, he, it's Rushasa. Yeah, he really he the uh, the author really loves long German compound words. Yeah, so does Germany. I know Germany also <laughs> does, but this guy really seems to take an inordinate pleasure in it. So every new organization he comes up with is always one long ass word. Hell yeah! Uh, it is very hard to keep track track of in your mind. Uh, Okay, so why don't we talk a little bit about the basic premise, the, the the game and how to play it. Sure. So this is D10 based, mm-hmm. uh, not percentile, it just D10. Not percentile, because all percentile games are bad. <laughs> Fight me. <laughs> <laughs> Please don't. I don't need to hear about anything that you care about in percentile games, whatever. <laughs> yeah, anyway. Sorry, I've just been reading Twitter today. So the whole thing is you are trying to get matches of dice. Mm-hmm. And you are measuring both the number that you get match-wise, so getting a match like getting two twos versus getting two tens. The two tens, both of them are a success, but the two tens might be a more powerful success. That's called a high success. That's the height of your success is the the uh, face di- the dice face showing uh, that are matches. So, for example, a a pair of nines is lower than a pair of tens in terms of height. However, that only con- controls or modi- uh, yeah. <laughs> that, that modifies power. That modifies the power or eff- efficacy of your success. Success. The speed of your success is measured by breadth or width. width. Uh, w- t- Veininess. Veininess. <laughs> <laughs> Whether or not your success is cut. <laughs> now you're going to want to look at the tumescence of your dice roll. Yeah. Okay. Width is the number of dice that are matches. So, for example, a three by two. And a two by two, so they'll both be equally successful. But the three by the three twos is going to be faster than two twos. So that's how this game issues initiative rolls, because you're going to say what you want to do, and whatever you do, you're going to roll to succeed on it, and the order is going to be based on who had the most uh, dice that matched. So you're going to check width, and then you'll check the height. To see uh, exactly how good you were at doing that. Yeah. Now, some things don't care about height. Mm-hmm. Like, you could say, you know, I'm running a race, and whoever gets there fastest would be the width. So I could roll three ones, and someone else rolls two tens. I'm going to get there before they do. Yeah, because you've got a faster speed result. But I'm going to get there and be, like, throwing up and having a super cramp while the other person will get there and just be like hey buddy how you doing everything's great i don't feel anything i'd be like yeah sure except you lost dickhead why didn't you run faster if you could <laughs> that was a bad example i'm sorry I, I i don't mean to uh well no he ran as fast as he could he's just not as fast but yeah. he's got way more endurance okay fair he's got a lot of stamina he's just not very fast okay. also that's the example they give in the book that's what i meant i didn't particularly care for that example in the book it felt weird uh okay so 
Uh, there are five stats that range from one to five in an ordinary human. Uh, those stats are strength, coordination, uh, leadership, cool, and another one. Also, leadership is command. Command. And <laughs> the other one is your uh, senses. Thanks. Just Perception, senses. I think. Just senses. It was yeah. just, yeah. So, so uh, strength, coordination, senses, command, and, uh, and cool. It's so cool. Now, uh, each of these is going to do a different thing for you. Uh, oh, we forgot brains. You didn't put brains in there. So there's you? six stats? Yeah. Okay. Then Brains, there. command, cool, body coordination, sense. Okay, I'm sorry. I forgot that there were there are six stats that range from one to five for oh, a regular guy. you did forget guy. Will. So there's also... <laughs> well, Will's a, Will's a substat. Yeah, I know. It's a, it is a a derived stat. Yeah, you can't, you can't Never trick me forget with that. Will. Yeah. <laughs> you mean Will, my first mate? <laughs> Don't show that to Will. <laughs> uh, now, for a average human, mm-hmm. two is going to be your baseline... Like, how many points a normal human would have in a, any given stat is two. So, you know, any normal person walking down the street, generally a two strength mm-hmm. and a two bo- or two body, two coordination, they whatever. Just got, they just got six twos. Yeah, they're just walking around like, I'm, I'm not good at anything, but I'm not bad either. Yeah, now they are only one step away from the worst possible stat and somehow three steps away from the best possible stat, which suggests that the average human wandering around sucks. Yeah, but that's normal in one to five r- results. Yeah, they're like, oh, a one means you're basically an invalid. Yeah, or you know, you've got some sort of disability that stops you from being able to do something well. Mm-hmm. You know, maybe you're blind, so your senses aren't as good. Yeah, unless you're daredevil. Uh huh. But, but then, but one step above that is the two, and that's where everyone is. Yeah, and then everyone's just sort of a two. But getting above a two to anywhere maximum human is five but they mention a few people who are like oh yeah you know like Patton's a command five and you know if you're a olympic level bodybuilder then you're a body five and so on like that but the way you make a character in this is you have a one in each stat and then six points to put into stats yeah so you're gonna be generally so if you wanted a five in something you're like oh i'm completely crippled in everything but i'm great at one thing mm-hmm. oh i'm deaf and blind and i i don't have a sense of touch i fall over all the time the game doesn't i, I don't remember correct me if i'm wrong john but does the game have a bonus points mechanic you can use to buy an, uh, stats again outside of the superpower system no yeah so most people you're pretty much relegated to making a generic average dude with maybe one weakness and one very slightly above average ability this is the first point in the game where i looked at it and went man why do they want you to be so bad there are several things i would tweak in this game Mm -hmm. to make anyone playing it not feel like they were just a shit garbage idiot well a lot of the book does consistently reinforce this belief that that uh this is gritty realism son yeah i I understand that that this is supposed to be like oh it's world war ii and it doesn't matter if you can shoot lasers out of your face that's not gonna help you when someone shoots you with a bullet and even if you're bulletproof uh, you're You're not you could still get shot a whole bunch yeah it's It's frustrating, especially when you get later into the book and they start giving you example characters. And all the example characters are, well, most of them are bulletproof, first of all. Like, almost all the, oh, what's your power? I create a bulletproof bubble. I am just bulletproof. I am made of metal. Bullets that try to hit me hit someone else. You're like, okay, so everyone's bulletproof. That's. I mean, that's, that's not true. Well, no, there's several people who aren't. 
That's, Most of the main characters aren't bulletproof. They're just, you know, good at doing one thing. Yeah, yeah. But they're so good at doing whatever they do or have enough powers that you're like, oh, this isn't. This isn't possible. You can't make one of these people. Well, they when you get towards the end of the book, they give you the first ten supers, whoever came into existence, and talents, excuse me, whoever came into power in this world. They're like, these guys are special. They have way more power than anyone because they're the first ten. I'm like, first of all, I hate that no- that noise. That, that was the same thing I didn't like in Aberrant, for example, where it's like, <laughs> hey, you can play in this game. You'll never be as good as the other ones, though. You have to be a beta to play in this. You can't be You've a- got to be a beta cuck. Yeah. So the first guy, the Durf Leaguer fella, is built with 150 points to spend on his superpower. Uh, player characters are supposed to be built with 25. And 25 will get you, like, a cup of coffee and a smile <laughs> as far as superpowers. And, and to give you an idea of exactly what he accomplishes with his 150 points, first they assume that his powers are cheaper than regular p- uh, players' powers. They make a thing, it's like, oh, by the way, for the first 10, they always paid 1, 2, 4 in terms of the dice they had to purchase for their, their powers instead of any other base cost that might be higher. So not only did we make this person with a million know, points, way more points than you have, but it's also just more effective. Also, his points went a lot further, but all his powers boil down to, I can fly really fast and create sonic booms. Yeah, I mean, he had, like... As high as you can get in the flight power, as high as you can get in the super speed power, mm-hmm. and then a very high level damage ability in the sonic boom. Yeah. That was all he had going for him, was all those things were basically tied into a single his single flight power. Uh, don't get me wrong, the, the power creation system in this game is surprisingly robust and very interesting. You just don't get enough currency to play with. Oh, no. In the same way that your stats are just twos across the board unless you want to be terrible at something so you can maybe have a three in the same way the powers in this there's a scaling point cost for whatever you're doing and most of the shit you're going to do is like oh i want to be able to do this at even like a 60% chance. Like, this is an inherent superpower to me, mm-hmm. and I still have a 40% chance of fail, and that's all my points. There's a part in the book where the author addresses this problem, which is hilarious, because he's like, hey, I know you, you probably, as you're reading this right now, you're thinking, geez, it's almost impossible to build anything bigger than a four-die pool in any of my superpowers. Well, relax, because keep in mind that a four-die pool succeeds 50% of the time. That's a high rate of success. And I was like, no, it isn't. No, that's terrible. That's bad. If you're sitting at a table and you're succeeding 50% of the time, for players, you will feel like it's way less than that because you're rolling all the time. If you were issuing me a rifle and sending me off to war and you were like, don't worry, Grunt, this rifle works 50% of the time. It's great. I'd leave the army. (laughs) I mean, if they gave me a rifle and said it works 100% of the time, I'd be like, great. The army life for me then. (laughs) That is the difference. Yes. But uh, but the fifty percent is not a good. I mean, I know that people have this discussion a lot in role playing game design circles. About oh, of course, all the heartbreaker stuff we've talked about, where you're just a dirt farmer to start with, mm, and it's like, oh, you should count yourself lucky that you're one of the greatest hackers in the world. You have a forty percent chance to hack a system that has no security. Yeah, you have a forty percent chance of getting through your local library's firewall. Yeah, wait, hold on, what? <laughs> Uh, but, uh, in this, but this normally I like to think it's between about a 65 to 75% should be the baseline chance. Yeah. I would say in a situation 
where a character is competent at something, like this is a thing that they want to do, mm-hmm. 75% should probably be where you're shooting at if it's a thing that, like, oh, this is my thing. Especially if you're building a system that has an active defense element involved, because if you're attacking and you're like, okay, what's the steps for me to be able to attack? Well, first I have to pay some of my spendable resource to be able to shoot my attack. Great, okay. That happens whether I hit or not. Okay, cool. You spend that. Then you check to see whether or not you can activate the power. Then you check to see whether or not the power hit. Then you check to see whether or not the power was defended. So you have three chances to fail, and all of them are roughly 50%, which means you fail seven times in eight. This is not good. No. Uh, Having more layers means you've got to up the percentage, because otherwise you're just rolling for failure. Mm Mm-hmm. So, that is a problem. Well, the problem, it's an easily circumvented problem in this system, because the system doesn't just go to four dice, it goes to, like, ten. Uh, but ten is the maximum. Ten is so, the max. Even though there are, you can buy hyper stats or hyper skills, and you can get a stat or a skill up to ten, mm-hmm. but it doesn't matter if I have, like, a ten coordination and a 10 in rifle. I still only roll 10 dice. I don't get to roll 20. Yeah. So no matter how awesome you are in any given thing, you are capped at 10. Well, now there are workarounds for superpowered people. Uh, because well, you still can't get any more dice. You can just make your dice more reliable. And also you can purchase outside of dice dice. You can still roll a 10 die pool and have hard dice affect that total. No, that's part of your die pool. Oh, is it? Okay. Yeah, when you buy a hard die, it's one of your dice. Sorry about that. You're right. (laughs) So let's talk about that real quick. Uh, Each power and skill and so on in the game that you purchase, especially if you're only if you're purchasing with powers, will come in three types of potential dice. One of them is just dice. So say, for example, you'd like to purchase laser eyes. Uh, You can purchase laser eyes at at a a price. uh, Like, let's just say it's one, two, four for, for the three types of dice. You can purchase dice and laser eyes for one point each up to a maximum of 10. Uh, You can purchase what are called hard dice at twice that cost. And hard dice are dice you set aside from your die pool, and you just set them to 10. Mm -hmm. So if I'm rolling, say, 7 dice for something, but 2 of them are hard dice, then I roll 5 and just set 2 to 10. Mm Mm-hmm. Uh, now, keep in mind that means that you know, normally you hit people when you're shooting them on at least a success, and that's all you really need to do before you real, would deal with their armor or dodge chance or whatever. So that means if you have two hard dice and a skill, you will never not hit, because you'll always be like, I at least get two tens. Yeah, if you get two hard dice and a skill, you always succeed, and it's always fairly effective because you're always going to be at a ten. Mm-hmm. Uh, now, if you purchase three hard dice in a laser skill, then like a shooting skill then you are guaranteed kill shots every single time because this game uses hit locations and there's only so far that you're allowed to build your hit locations number of hit points. Yeah, the, and, and because the problem is the hit location is tied into what you rolled on your attack. Mm-hmm. So if I roll, you know, a 1 on my shot, I'm probably shooting you in the foot mm-hmm. and I think it's like 6 7 8 shoots you in the torso or something, but 10 is the head. Uh-huh. And because you can just buy tens in a thing if you have either like a skill so like pistols rifles things like that or a power where you shoot laser beams or do something along those lines anything that attacks if you have hard dice automatically hits the head now technically for story purposes these people are aren't all running around kill shotting each other in the nug uh what happens instead is it hits you anywhere and it does damage to the head 
They actually have a little sidebar in there that makes it. They're like, realistically, if you could run around and shoot lasers from your fingers, you wouldn't always headshot. So it doesn't always hit people in the head. It just always does damage as if it did. Yeah. Okay. And I was I, all I was thinking is, why did you tie the hit location system to the dice system if it was going to be a thing where you could just purchase always hit the yeah, head? Yeah, as soon as you were like, oh, I can just buy three hard dice and auto-murder everyone? Uh, okay, but then why are you tying this into a hit location? Why not just say, oh, if I really need hit location to be a thing, that'll be a different role or it'll mm. be something else aside from that. I understand that you want to, like, compress so that you aren't making as many rolls. Because that's part of this, is the height and width means that you only check your roll once for, like, how quick I am, how hard I'm hitting, where I'm hitting. And I understand the want to make everything in one roll. Uh-huh. But then you run into this. You do, and this was an easy problem to fix, and I don't know why they didn't. Now, I do appreciate the candor of the book, to be like, yeah, if you purchase three hard dice and laser feet, then you always kill people when you shoot them with your fucking laser feet. It's that simple. It's not hard to be a guy who always kills people in this game, because you're playing a soldier who always kills people anyway. Yeah, there's a lot of stuff in this book where they are not concerned about a super versus a regular person. Yeah. There is straight up one of the powers you can just buy... Uh, is instant instant, instant kill, and all it is is, what do you do? You buy points in this, they're automatically hard dice, and just, you do damage to someone's nug, and there you go. And they die. It's that simple. It so only the, affects people, or it only affects living things. But this is one of the early examples, along with the straight twos thing that John was talking about earlier, uh, of how this game has a lot of gritty realism force clutches in it, where it's like, Hell, I just realized we accidentally created something awesome. We better put in a weird caveat that makes sure that no one uses it for awesome things. Mm. Like, for example, if you buy flight, then it's fairly, flight's a fairly simple power to buy. You can buy yourself up to the ability to fly like a car. Uh, each power in the game can be purchased with add-ons or hindrances that can re- increase or reduce the cost of per-dice purchases. Oh, I never mentioned the third type of die. It's wiggle dice. Yeah, wiggle dice you get to set aside just like a hard die, but you decide what die it is after you roll. Yeah, so they're a little more effective than te- than uh, straight tens because if you have three wiggle dice, then you can increase the breadth of whatever you rolled as well by saying, oh, I rolled a four, I'll set all three of my wiggle dice to four. Or it also allows you to do things where the multi-attack in this is you need multiple sets mm-hmm. of matches so with 10s, you only have one match set, regardless of how many 10s you have. Mm-hmm. But if you have wiggle dice, you can say, oh, I'll take these two wiggle dice, put one into any number, one into any other number. Now I have two actions that succeed. Yeah, no. So wiggle dice are quite powerful, which makes sense because they've cost four times as much as just buying regular dice. Uh, okay, so like I was saying in flying, you can buy... Uh, benefits or hindrances. A hindrance to flight might be something like, it's very hard for me to steer. I can only fly in a straight line. Uh, or I can only fly at a very low altitude. Uh, a benefit might be, the examples that they list as benefits for flight, because uh, you can create your own and you just work out the cost with the DM. Uh, one of the the benefits they suggest is, oh, you can fly at super high altitude. You do not suffer the effects of needing to breathe. You do not suffer the effects of being depressurized when you go to a very high altitude. And then it ends that sentence and begins a new one that says, you cannot fly into space. Do not even try. Okay. And I'm like, okay, first of all, why the yelling at me book? What, what, what if I, what do you care? What, that, if I go to space, is that really going to fuck your day? Yeah, I mean, what, is it going to mess up the author of this book's good time? It's like, 
I mean, ultimately, a Last lot Last time of- someone flew into space, they shit in my cereal. <laughs> but, like, one of the cool stories you could do is Nazis on the moon. Yeah, that, that'd I mean, be if neat. you wanted to be like, yeah, I, I make a dude fly up to the moon and he puts a thing there. Although, it would take a while, because yeah. even if you had super speed, you're still not going very fast you're going 800 miles an hour at the absolute maximum limit of super speed and super flight combined uh so it would take you months and years to get to the moon yeah but it it, it doesn't i mean ultimately this whole thing where it's like well, oh hold on people might, pl- players might realize at this point they could do something interesting no do not interesting things are not allowed because it's got this, like I said, it's gritty realism clutches. Every once in a while, the book will be like, here's an inter- here's a cool idea, here's how this works, and then it has to go, oh, whoop, hold on, no. Yeah, I mean, the other one that we've discussed at length before doing this is the transmutation superpower. Oh, yeah. Because transmutation superpower is your standard alchemy nonsense where you're just like, oh, I have an equivalent exchange of one thing to another thing, mm-hmm. I can turn a pound of feathers into a pound of bricks, whatever. But it needs to be able to tell you, hey, you might be thinking, why not just make a whole bunch of gold and be rich? Well, I'll tell you why, you dummy. Okay, so that feeds into one of the more interesting narrative conceits of this game. Uh, Superpowers, no matter what your superpower is, you get the bonus superpower of being able to tell when anyone else is using a superpower. Yeah, anything, anyone who is a talent which is the name of superheroes in this, mm-hmm. uh, based off of because there was another game called Wild Talents that yes. I think the system is based on. But talents in this can always tell when someone else is using a talent. Mm-hmm. So whether they're using it or if it's something that's always on, like if I just have uh, like hyper strength yeah. and I'm always strong, then you just if you're a talent and you look at me, you can... Just there's an aura around them, and you go, "Oh, that's a talent." Yeah. So what? But the the book says about the whole transmutation thing is your players may think, "Oh, transmutation! I can just create tons of gold and retire from the war." <laughs> and and uh, you got to stop them. And the way you stop them is talents can always see whether gold they try people are trying to sell is fake. And this creates so many more problems than it solves because it solves no problems. Well, yeah. The if whole point of this was like. Oh, uh, any talent who sees something that's been transmuted can tell that it's been transmuted and just, like, spend a point of will and untransmute it. Yes. So here's, let's talk about the problem that this ostensibly solves. Your players may quit by just making a ton of gold and being like, I'm not going to fight the war anymore. If your players do this, have them make another character or grant, uh, uh, grant them their amazing QED they just delivered you with and be like, great, you don't have to play the game. What would you like to do now? Great. Uh, apparently you don't like this game and wanted to already win. Mm-hmm. All right, Jerry, I guess you won. What are we playing well, now? You sure did solve the logic puzzle that is this role-playing game. Uh, you are truly a, peer, a master among your peers. Also, uh, I, what, what, we blow I, you? What happens next? I, I guess I get the Nintendo out and we Mario Kart now. <laughs> so this is a non-issue that it's solving. Uh, if, also, if, if some fucking random soldier was like, I've got a ton of gold and I'm leaving. The commanding officer would be like, where the fuck did you find that gold? And also, that's going to America. (laughs) Yeah, that's also true. I mean, technically, the way you get out of it is like, I develop a talent. And instead of signing up for the military, I just make gold on my farm or whatever. And then they'd be like, great, now you're in the military. (laughs) Yeah. So, okay. 
So it doesn't solve any problems, first of all, but it does create new problems in that it suggests that every single place on the entire planet that you may try to go to sell gold, there's a superpower guy there, just to be sure. Yeah. I mean, especially when you're talking like, oh, I'm some GI, I'm on, you know, an island somewhere, or I'm on, like, some city on Europe, and I go into a store, and I'm like, hey, I would like to trade buh for this. And the person there has to either be a talent or employ someone who just stands behind the counter and is like, ah, hold on. Ah, that's the talent being used. Ah. Ah. And, and that creates further implications. That that means that people will will constantly not want to trust each other because what if you have super mind control or something? Which means talents are going to end up being Oh, employed. by the way, the, the game says mind control doesn't exist in this world. But then suggestion does, and there's definitely a character who can get people to do what she wants because, oh God. Okay, so... Um, but it, it creates all these problems. And here's here's a great metric for how many problems it creates, John. Uh, they actually give you a hard number when they tell you what happens in post-war Israel. Post-war Israel has the largest percentage per person of superpowers of any nation on Earth. Mm-hmm. 4%. Yes. Which means that of those 4%, all of them are working in assayers' offices or currency exchanges, I guess. And this also assumes that any talent that sees you is going to give a shit. Uh-huh. Like, if I go into some store somewhere and I'm like, I would like to trade this ah, normal ruby for money, and some other talent is there, like, not working for them, but just around and looks over and sees that, like, they're going to go, hey, that's cheating, mister. Yeah. They're not just going to look and go, <laughs> nice, also give me one. So this game is neat and interesting, but let's make a very clear statement here. If your game has a lot of fun detectors in it, stop that. <laughs> If your players, if the people running your game at their own house with their own friends want to have fun with it, fuck you if you try and stop them. Yeah, if there's something in your game that you're like, oh, I put this mechanic in, but wait, I realized it could destroy my game. I have to put in a caveat that it can't. Maybe don't include it then? Or at least think about it, because this one in particular is just a giant fucking manhole of a problem it creates so many more problems and it doesn't even solve any in the first place no the the whole idea behind it i was like that seems odd for a choice of what to do but okay sure so you get 25 points to spend on your powers average power costs uh like the very most basic power if you're like oh i would like to have the ability to uh i don't know jump pretty good yeah hyper skills are the cheapest thing you can get at one point per die they cost one two four for uh, for, uh, regular hard and wiggle dice respectively uh hyper stats are two four eight respectively per point uh and then uh, there's the rest of the powers that aren't just you're super strong or you're really good at guns or whatever are called miracles and those have variable cost rates and i would say almost all of them at the cheapest are 3612. Yes, they're usually 3612, but you can buy hindrances that reduce the cost, but they also don't do that much unless you buy a bunch of stunts and upgrades for them. Yeah, if I want, because each non-stat or skill-based ability that I get, anything that's, you know, flying or lasers or transmutation or turning into a wolf or anything that I want to do, uh, Baseline, all abilities that you buy are one, two, four. Then there are four things you can add onto it, and this is how you can create your own power if you want to. Yes. So if something you want to do isn't 
covered by the list of powers in the game. Which there are 45 of, so it's going to be hard for it not to... It, yeah, you'd you, have to you, have a really weirdly specific power. You can usually find one and be like, I'm just going to reskin this and, ch- and change the powers, that I, uh, the hindrances and bonuses, and it'll, it'll fit. Yeah. Uh, you'll take that one, two, four, and then you'll add on steps for four things. Uh, can you attack with it? Mm-hmm. Can you defend with it? Is it robust? Which means it's hard. It can't be interrupted or destroyed by other talents. It's you know easy to use, not a problem for anything yeah. like that. Uh, or the fourth one is: is it useful outside of combat? Uh huh. And for each one of these that you have, you're increasing the cost up to a five, ten, twenty for your dice. Uh huh. And keep in mind that you start with twenty points. So if you want to wiggle 25. die, twenty five points. So if you want to wiggle die on something that's good, you can't. No, you you spend 20 points on it and have five left, and I guess at that point you also buy one die. One regular die. And that, I mean, at that point you do always succeed, because whatever your other die rolls, you match. Yeah. But you're also only ever getting Two. the success of a one and that's number. Your, and that's your only power. That, right, it, and like, that's all you do. And there's also, you have to spend your starting points on your base will stat, and your base will stat is not getting fucked by other supers. Yes, so your base will stat does a bunch of different things. It, you have to spend points of will to activate non-always-on powers. Uh, yeah, if I want to shoot a laser beam, mm-hmm. uh, I gamble a will, uh-huh. and I roll to activate it. If yeah. I do activate it, I get to keep the will mm-hmm. and use the power. If I fail on my activation roll, I lose the will and don't do anything. Yes. Uh, okay, so... There's another thing that'll that'll be a problem for you. If you do manage to get up high enough in level to buy a bunch of hard dice, the XP mechanic in this game is whenever you roll a non-modified 10 on any of your dice in a pool, that that, that does not work. Like the hit location chart, it does not work uh, where you those 10s on your hard dice count as 10s and give you will uh, bonuses to purchase things with. Yeah, and same thing with wiggle dice. You can't count a wiggle die that you matched with a 10 as another 10. Mm-hmm. But at least you rolled one at that point to match with, so you do get a will point. This this is basically to stop you from just buying only hard dice. Yeah, the way in which you get will points in this, because <sighs> will points are the most precious commodity you have yeah because every time you want to use a talent on another person who has a talent uh they can spend will points to try and turn off your talent it's called a contest of wills yeah so you want to have as much as you can because if i try and laser another superhero Mm -hmm. because all superpowers are essentially just psychic manifestation manifestations of reality shaping i'm into manifestations that sounds like that's a cool compound word manifestations yeah (laughs) <laughs> Let me see your manifestations to work in this, this facility. <laughs> <laughs> I think you'll find them behind your ear. <laughs> what are your manifestations doing behind my ear? <laughs> uh, so anytime you want to do something to another talent, they can try and stop that from affecting them. Mm-hmm. And it's essentially who has a better will because you're exerting your idea that you won't be hurt over their idea that they can hurt you. Well, another problem it runs into is the this game is uses symmetrical PCs and NPCs. This is a real problem, because that means that if you want to send someone on an adventure where they're going to have to fight a talent and then another talent and then another talent... Well, yeah, because I haven't explained how that actually works Oh, yet. I'm sorry. <laughs> go, go ahead, go ahead. What you do is you go into a back-and-forth bidding war mm-hmm. of, okay, I attempt to hit you with laser beams, and the other person goes, I spend a will. No, you don't. 
And then at that point, you get to go, I spend two will. Yes, I do. I spend three. No, you don't. And you go back and forth until someone says, "Uh, I don't actually want to spend that much will. So if we go up to like nine and it would be ten for you to say, ah, no, I do hit you. And you go, you know what? Fuck it. No, you can spend nine. I'll just chill out and not zap you. He's like, ha ha. Great. But like Jeff was saying, you're a PC, and if you run into multiple talents, all of them have a starting max pool that they will use to just thwart you. So anytime you want to do something to a talent, you're like, I do a thing. No, you don't. <sighs> okay, because your life is cheap, because you're going to be dead by the end of this combat. Because I'm a PC, I'm not. So every- I have to keep playing every week, so the amount that I have at the end of this combat matters. Uh-huh. It's, it's irritating. Or if they go first, they could just be like, I shoot you with a laser beam. Will contest. No, you don't. I'm willing to spend all the will I have because I will never do anything again after this. And especially bad when you're like, oh, yeah, and their one power is instant death. And now you have to spend everything you can to make sure they don't because otherwise you die. Yeah. So problems. There's plenty of them. There's some problems here. Now, the light and heavy armor mechanic in this game, because uh, light and heavy armor are both powers and things you can get from vehicles and stuff, is actually kind of neat. Uh, light armor reduces shock damage you take by the width equivalent to the the uh, light armor rating. Heavy armor does the same thing for both light and heavy armor. Uh, there's penetration rings you can use to get through either one. It's it's a it's a okay interesting system. But the real power, the best thing you can possibly do if you don't want people to shoot you and you want to shoot other people in this game, is to just take the cool stat all the way to ten. Yeah. So we have bonus content for. System Mastery at mm-hmm. patreon.com slash system mastery at the $1 level, mm-hmm. where we will make characters in the games that we have just reviewed. We are going to make some people in Godlike. Oh, yeah. Now, I'm going to tell you right now, the first thing I thought of, and that I'm not going to make, was someone that has a ridiculously high cool stat, and that's basically where all their points went to, because you don't have a contest of wills mm-hmm. if... The attack is an ambush or by surprise. If you don't know something's coming, then you can't exert your will over it, so it just happens. Yes. What Cool does as a stat is they tried to make it be much better than just, oh, this is me, like not being affected by the war mm-hmm. because all of the other stats are like ooh this makes it so that i can detect people or shoot people or hit people this has actual like in game things that i get to do with it whereas cool is just sort of all right i i guess you're you're cool so they mm-hmm. made it that your base will uh is based off of cool plus command yes but command you only get up to 5 and then it stops if you go above and you have super command, then it doesn't matter. You just stop at the five for your base. Yeah. Whereas being uh, hyper cool goes all the way up to ten. Uh-huh. So not only do you have a much better base from which to have will points and uh-huh. to stop people from hitting you with will uh, powers, but also it adds just plus one per point over five uh, to, the to your... Your width of your role. Yeah. I keep saying breath. I know you do. Yeah. But the... So if you have cool 10, whatever you roll is plus five width. Mm -hmm. 
the chances of anyone that isn't like, oh, I bought five hard dice or wiggle dice or whatever, getting more than you in any given roll, because if you succeed at all, you have seven width now. Yeah. The so chances you always of, go first. Yeah, you're going to go first. So the idea of sniper with cool 10 and maybe uh, hyper sniper ability. Yeah. And you just, what do you do? Oh, I kill Nazis and talents too, because if they don't know it's coming, I just shoot them in the head and they die. Yeah. So uh, cool. T- oh, oh, the other thing cool 10 does, and this is really important. We were talking earlier about hey, a will pool that you use to activate powers and play the contest of wills game and so on. Uh, anytime you see anything gruesome, you have to roll a cool plus like compo- stability, cool plus stability check to see if you're too grossed out and whored by war. And if you fail that check, you automatically lose half of all of your current will. Which is, again, another thing that just fucks over players and not the talents they meet. Because you're going to meet some talent who's like, hey, I'm der fire farter, and I got the ability to throw fire. Uh, I have 23 will points, because that's what my base will is. And, uh, and that's it. Oh, you you haven't been freaked out by war or anything so far? No, I'm just I'm just at my max. You happen to catch me on a really good day. Uh but cool but people with hyper cool don't roll that cool plus uh stability roll at all. Yeah. They just don't have to. And even if they did, they'd succeed it. They have ten cool. Yeah. Um but they they just don't have to. So they're skipping one of the biggest uh fuck yous of the game. Also, this the worst thing about that will that chart of things that might cost you will is Shit that's you there's just DM fuck yous. Yeah, it's there's like, oh, did a you whole, get a Dear John letter from home? Lose half your will. Yeah, there's a whole list of things in the what can make you lose will section that is just oh, you can lose will if your DM wants you to. Because mm-hmm. sometimes it's things like, oh, you'll gain a bunch of will if you manage to save someone using your powers. Yeah. Then you gain I think it's half their command stat in will points. It's more if they're not a super, but that's all that means. Oh, yeah, if you save a civilian with your superpowers, you're like, oh, I get so many will points. You get twice as many, which, big deal, because a civilian's going to have a command of two. Yeah, you're going to get two points, which, I mean, (laughs) whatever, the soldier you would have saved has had two, so you would have gotten one anyway. Big whoop-de-doo. But... The, which means someone on your party should have a high command just so you can save them using your power and be like, <laughs> yes, extra will points. Anyway, but with the losing will points, some of them like, oh, you tried to save someone and they died anyway, even though you were using your powers. Mm-hmm. Okay, sure. That's an in-game thing. It was a choice I made to try and save them because it's not just see someone die. It's a bad choice. I'm not going to agree with you that that's an okay thing because what that, that suggests is that you should not try to help people because <laughs> you might mess up. And if you mess up, it hurts your personal reserve of ability to do things later. Yeah, that's part of the game, Jeff. Mm-hmm. Do you care about yourself or others. That's part of the theme here, Jeff. <laughs> it's a bad that's, theme. That's mechanics as world. It's a bad theme. It's a, it, it rewards you for... Be, also, going to Cool 10 rewards you for just being an absolute bastard. You just The best way to play this game is as a person who is an emotionless robot who always does what's best for them. <sighs> but that's the best way to go through life, Jeff. But it's no way to go through life. <laughs> you might the- have more resources, but you don't have any friends. Unless you're also Command 10, and then you have a lot of friends. Well, I don't have either right now, and let me tell you, I don't know where this was going. (laughs) I'm sad. (laughs) So, okay. Anyway, uh, but yes, there are several things like the Dear John letter, or you find out that, like, one of your parents died or something, and it's just like, oh, you lose, like, a couple of points of will for that happening. And you look at it and go, but I don't... Why? This is just the GM wanted to come over to my character and go... 
Hey, hey, fuck you. You're worse. <laughs> Keep in mind that Will are also XP. That so is wa- the main issue yeah. with this. If it, you wanted to upgrade any of your still scat, stats or skills or your whatever. Your stats. Your scats. If you wanted to get better at scat. Well, the scat man can, well, let me tell you, the scat man can do it, and so can you. <laughs> He's got hyper scat. Mm-hmm. <laughs> now, these hyper By the scats, way, don't look that up on FetLife. <laughs> hashtag hyper scat. I mean, if, unless you're into it, no judgment. Uh, but, you know, some judgment. Okay, so... Uh, <laughs> yeah, so because you have to spend will points to get a uh, level up in anything, mm-hmm. it means that anytime you expend will in a clash of wills or have to uh expend will because you're traumatized by the war or anything like that it's the game just taking away xp from a player it's not just this is a renewable resource that i have and so it's fine it's actually stopping you from progressing in the game so what that basically boils down to is anytime your player is visibly like trying to save power like oh I'm, i'll just take the hit i need the t- i need the will i'm trying to upgrade my something yeah oh i'm not gonna save that person because if they die i'll take a hit to my will and i'm at 48 out of 50 will and i need so, that 50th so close you get a dear john letter uh oh well i can i not read it or what, what are we doing here no you lose half your will fuck you yeah you know what from now on i don't read letters anymore and the second someone comes up to me and says hey i've got some bad news for you i kill them yeah <laughs> <laughs> i just I just fire them to space by fire people to space power. Uh, up yours. Fuck All right, you, buddy. Uh, th- so we talked about the hit location table. The 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 game's basic gritty realism when it comes to combat. There's a whole bunch of stuff about spraying with multiple weapons and so on. But we are running out of time, and I really want to talk about the meta plot of World War II as it stands in this game. Yeah. There's so much we could talk about in this, because the rules are its own thing, and mm-hmm. the meta plot of this is its own thing. Well, no, the first thing you're going to encounter is that every single person you ever hear about, every one of the supers you ever read about in this game, definitely has more points than you ever possibly would have. Well, yes. No matter what, they are obviously built with more points than you are. And in addition to that, every single person you've heard of from World War II is, of course, not going to be a talent because mm-hmm. they don't want to make it a thing where it's like, yeah, Hitler only rose to power because he had super command. Now, the, So this is a problem that it's a variable problem depending on how much you like alternate history storylines because the important thing, the most important thing that I think this game wants, I think it's a point the game is trying to make, is that they're super powered people now. But nothing changes. Literally everything happens exactly when it would have happened and usually in the exact same way it would have happened. It's just that now also there were some superpowered people there and they died in a fight with some other superpowered people. Yeah, there are several tweaks that it makes. It's like, oh, the uh, Arizona survived Pearl Harbor. Mm-hmm. and But the Oklahoma sank, so... Eh. <laughs> yeah, the, there's a lot of just little twists on things like, oh, the bombing of this place was slightly better because they had supers with them or oh uh, i guess now when the like world leaders meet they have a bunch of supers around them so they can tell if someone else is trying to kill them or mm-hmm. shit like that but it never changes the actual events yeah pearl harbor still invaded on december 7th 1941 uh fat man and little boy still dropped on the same days on the same cities the uh hitler kills himself the same day germany surrenders the same day the war ends the same day yeah everything pretty much event wise that you would have known about plays out exactly the same Mm -hmm. and i understand that that's what this game is going for is this idea that even 
if you are someone that is exceptional in some way, that trying to like single-handedly turn the tide of a war isn't anything you can accomplish even with godlike power. Yes. Like the World War II was this juggernaut that you couldn't stand up to and that's the theme that they're going for is you can make a little difference. Maybe you make it so that like three more people lived than they would have because a superhero was there. Mm-hmm. And that's the little thing that you get to take and be proud of. I, and sure, the problem is that they provide the tools to change the war dramatically and then keep coming up with kludge reasons for why they don't. So, for example, obviously you could give yourself a hyper command character who's the best person at leadership and tactics there's ever been. Uh, but you, they just aren't any of those. They're just, you know, Patton's still Patton. He doesn't have super command or anything. Uh, and even though there are characters out there who are crazy intelligent and have super high command scores, they don't matter and they're not Patton. Um, and, and before John gets into it, he's po- about to point out that the uh, command score is just your your magnetism towards men, where where his brains is actually the stat that would re- that would be about tactics and so on. The thing is, they clutched brains as well. If you yes. take super high brains you automatically become too pacifistic to be willing to lead troops. So the hyperbrain stat is a thing where they were like, oh, if we make someone like twice as smart as, you know, anyone who's ever lived. Or just the people who were relevant and hyper smart during World War II. Your Einsteins, your, uh, yeah. uh the, what's his name? Uh, yeah. Thank you. The, uh, yeah, I'm trying to remember the code your breaker Your Fermis, guy. your yeah. Turings. Mm-hmm. Turing, thank you. And all of them are listed as like, oh, yeah, they would have a five in brains, mm-hmm. which is weird because how did they get to that? What? How much XP did these guys get? I anyway, know. how did Turing earn any XP to get him up to that five? He was not all that important of a person until it was discovered that he had a knack for code breaking. But <laughs> you look at that and from six on, they start saying, oh, at this point, once you get to a high enough level of intelligence not only are you able to like calculate numbers and probabilities and statistics ridiculously fast, but you're also able to calculate the effects of things and you get super empathy along with it to the point where you're like, yes, I could create a bomb that could level a city, but I can also imagine every single person's life in that city mm-hmm. and the effects of them dying would be on everyone they know and how that would ripple out. So being super intelligent means you automatically, without any choice, become a super pacifist. Uh-huh. Uh, there's also two, the transmuter I mentioned already in terms of uh, how easily broken it is by anyone with a talent to stop you from using it for leaving the war. The other one that's similar to that is if you're a Rube Goldberg master, where you, your whole thing is you create whiz-bang sci-fi technology, but it only works when you're looking at it, and it breaks real easy otherwise, and if it breaks, it just robs you of will. Yeah, it's, oh, I'm I'm the type of guy where my talent is, I can make a ray gun. I want to go, like, jetpack, ray gun, full, like, Buck Rogers on this shit. Mm-hmm. And It's uh, a trap. And if you do that, you're like, oh, cool. Instead of spending points on both flight and harm, now I just have a laser gun and a jetpack, and I get to do the same thing. Except if someone sh- shuts down your jetpack... You just lost the 20 will you put into Jetpack. And the only reason that they are so strict about this is because they're trying to stop players from being like, oh, okay, well, I use my Rube Goldberg technology to equip my battalion with ray guns. Oh, yeah. So that you don't go, 
Uh, what do you do? Well, I have to be around it, but I've got a small squad of PCs, and each of us gets a ray gun. And you're like, uh, no, you, I, I blow up your ray guns, and now you lost 40 will. Don't do that again. Which is so weird, because how easy is it in this game to build a power that just kills somebody? It's so easy. And yet they're like, well, if you do it with this, that's bad. Don't. Yeah. It, it, it's just to stop the story from being changed away from their meta plot, because otherwise people would just fix the, the, the do things to the war involving super technology. And there's a lot of stuff in there, like teleportation is a power, mm-hmm. and there's a lot of stuff in there about, like, oh, teleporters really made it so that, like, uh, moving materiel got much easier, and so being able to, like, supply frontline things was sort of, you know, easier in the war, so that's a little thing that changed, even though none of the statistics changed, but it also has to make it go, oh, and no one was ever able to successfully teleport to where Hitler was. Yeah. Or no German was ever able to successfully teleport to where Stalin was or anything like that. Mm-hmm. No one ever was able to teleport an entire like battalion of dudes behind enemy lines and just murder everyone. That never happened. You can't do that, even though you can, but they don't. Yeah, just don't. So the last thing I want to talk about before I get to best and worst, because we are running out of time here. I don't give a shit. Uh, I know. We can talk for longer, but there's food waiting for me out there. I know, but I don't give a shit about your food. <laughs> you and you already had a slight bunch of I pizza. Got pizza. I will start eating your pizza. No. Okay. I, I don't give a shit. Whatever. I know, you're done with it. Uh, okay, so the other thing I really want to talk about, though, is the cringy stuff that occurs during the back half of this book, which is largely timeline. Yeah, there's there's some stuff where when you're trying to be like, hey, I, got, I need to come up with superpowers and things that happen to all these different countries, but I'm American, where you start getting into some real some beta territory where you're like, well, obviously anyone from Japan becomes a samurai and anyway... <laughs> Well, thankfully, okay, semi-thankfully, let's talk about how this all goes down. First of all, they have a tendency in the book to kind of a little bit whitewash American bad decisions. Yeah. Uh, they do mention the internment camps and mention that they're a bad thing, but they don't do anything with them. How cool would it be if George Takei developed superpowers while he was in an internment camp? Because <laughs> it seems, because the reason superpowers develop is moments of extreme duress. When you're being forced to your limit, your superpowers develop, and you, you can do something to survive or to get away from them or something. Uh, but the the you'd think being forcibly ripped from your home and locked up in a shitty desert pr- prison in Arizona would activate a couple of superpowers. Yeah. Nope. Well, I mean, it did, but they immediately joined the army. Uh-huh. Uh, and then nothing about the Red Tail Squadron, nothing about the Tuskegee experiment. In fact, notably, I didn't see a single mention of a black, a specifically black superhero. Yeah. Uh, but the other thing I really want to talk about is how this game treats women. <laughs> Let's talk about this. There are three uh, metaplot women with superpowers in all of World War II. I want to point out that this is a game about how individuals became a more powerful force during World War II than they would have otherwise been. That the individual could turn tides more than they used to be able to. Uh, you'd think that would be like opening the gates for people who would, had, who would have been otherwise marginalized during the World War II era. Uh, instead, there are three women who get superpowers in this game, and... One of them is a bizarre Jewish stereotype, and the other two are both bizarre women stereotypes. I don't think that's a bizarre Jewish stereotype. No, at it's all. not really. It's that's a bizarre not a stereotype. Never mind. It's a bizarre Jewish mysticism thing, uh, or I shouldn't just say religion thing. Really, it's it, okay. Well, we'll explain her in a second. The first one to ever develop superpowers is a woman who has an ultra shrill scream. They use the word shrill. <sighs> it's the first adjective they describe using it for her. Uh, she sees her father being killed, and she screams so loud it kills everyone in a 25-mile radius. 
Uh, she is a super screamer, and she has the most ear-piercing, shrill scream of anyone ever. But she doesn't use the power usually because she doesn't want men nearby to be disappointed in her. <laughs> None of that is true, outside of they first said that she was shrill when she began screaming. It is true. Before she got superpowers. When she gets her superpowers, she hides them for forever until she's forced to release them in an act of extreme duress later. Because she she didn't just kill the Nazis that killed her. Her her scream kills everybody nearby. Yeah, it's just a giant cone of death. Uh, but, But she's super screamer. Uh, the second one is a woman who goes by the name Sheol. Uh, the as you this is basically like the bad part of the Jewish afterlife. It's, it's the it's kind Jewish of afterlife where you don't get to bask in God's light, and it's pretty much just what happens here. Uh, we shuffle around. the The dead are just sort of here. She does no actual contribution to the war. Really, her whole thing is that she can temporarily. Uh, copy the memories of... Oh, the, she can permanently copy. No, no, no. Copy. Let, me, let me finish. She can temporarily copy the memories of someone she touches. When she does that, their memories override her body for a while, and that person, like, they basically get to control her for a little while. Eventually, however, they get subsumed into the swirling chaos that is the combined memories of everyone else she's ever touched. Yeah. She permanently gets their memories. Mm-hmm. It's just that eventually that becomes pointless because she's touched a million people. Yeah, so you can sometimes force a personality to come to the surface if it's like Mm -hmm. oh she absorbed this person and then like uh that person's husband shows up having that connection will be like oh for like up to five minutes or 15 minutes maybe that personality will surface and be like oh you i know you and you could talk to them for a little bit but otherwise it's just sort of a every five minutes she's just swapping between all of these. She's just a swirling chaos of un, of unlimited memories that she can't control. She has no base personality. There's no original person in there. As well, far nobody as a, knows who, yeah. what her base personality yes. is. Yes. Uh, and the, and then uh, she mostly just wanders around internment and, and, uh, and, and Holocaust camps and touches everyone to, to kind of store their memories for posterity. And she survives the war and becomes a living Holocaust museum. Uh, it's uh, She's a very weird character. The third one is a woman who has the power of illusion, which automatically makes her sexy all the time. To dudes. To dudes. And to women, they're all, she's also sexy all the time, but she might be a dude or a, or a lady. You never, you never know. Yeah. Uh, but to, to dudes, she is always a sexy lady forever. No matter how old she gets, she's just always a sexy lady. Yeah, so she can be sexy to dudes that are straight and ladies, but to gay dudes, it's just like, oh. John, there's no such thing as gay dudes. This is World War II. I'm sorry. How dare I? <laughs> okay, that's better. Uh, the, the book certainly doesn't make any kind of overtures towards that sort of thing. Uh, but so her power is the most stereotypical. And you know, I know you're probably, you're on the board, the team of defending the Scream Woman. I would be with you if there were even like two or three more women who had generic superpowers. If there was even one who was like, what's your power? I can breathe fire or I shoot eye lasers or something. But the fact that there are only three, and of the three, one of them has super screams and one of them is perma-sexy. And no, you failed. You fucking failed. <laughs> uh, so, so I'm just, I'm just putting that. You know, there's a reason I'm not spending all my time yelling about how ba- Black Canary is a sexist character. It's because there's lots of DC superheroines. <laughs> <sighs> okay, all right. Also, J- Japan has a grand total of one superpowered character with a name. Uh, they go, they get to a point early by pointing out that Japan doesn't really get a whole lot of supers because they're too mean. <laughs> Uh, yeah, that one was like, I'm sorry, what? Because they're like, oh, yeah, Japan only got, like, one real big one and then a few weird, like, pop-ups mm-hmm. in the war. 
and then they got you know about as many as anyone else got as soon as the bombs dropped mm-hmm. because that just triggered a shit ton of powers. Right. And I go, yeah, that would, but also oh, they got bombed by more than the two atomic bombs. You know, you would you would also think that any of the fighting in the Pacific would make way more show up. Yeah, those little island battles, the Midways, your Lady Gulfs, your... Uh, oh, those were just, like, ridiculously hard-fought. They like, were the biggest bloodbaths <laughs> of the war. And you'd think some of those Japanese guys would develop powers. But no, in fact, the only... Th- they, they, they get this whole thing about how there's one guy named who has superpowers. There are other people who have developed them, but the people who otherwise who have developed them are always so cruel and crazy that they can't serve in the Japanese military, and instead they're immediately put down. Well, that or it's... What is this? Oh, they're one of those people that stays on the island and doesn't realize that the war is over. Yeah, which is just a setup for a post-war game or something. But here's the thing. The one named Japanese superpower, thankfully, is not a samurai guy, but he's almost worse. His power is that anytime he's about to die, he immediately teleports back to the last place he was sleeping. What this, what they do with this is that he's the world's greatest kamikaze bomber because he doesn't die in the kamikaze bombings. Yep. I was like, you know... <sighs> Much like your point on the whole women thing, this is one of those things where I was like, oh yeah, if you had a shitload of them and then someone just happened to have a power, they're like, oh, I can teleport back to a place that I slept, Mm -hmm. then it would sort of make sense that they go, oh, well, we're already using kamikaze tactics, we may as well use you because that's great. Mm Mm-hmm. But when it's the only one you have... Well, keep in mind, John, let's be very realistic. If they added a second one, it would definitely be a guy who has the most honor anywhere and has hyper-katana. You know I have hyper-honor well. and hyper-katana. Yeah. And then if there was a third guy, he'd just be a Rube Goldberg who only builds samurai armor. <laughs> yeah. Like, so, I'm just... We, we almost got off kind of light by their whole, like... The, but their whole thing where they're like, oh, the, the Japanese are just too crazy and cruel to get any... Uh, Get any regular superpower guys. By the way, there's like 300,000 Nazi ones. <laughs> yeah, well, Germany got the most. Because German. Uh, here's the thing. Nazis, according to this book, are kind of cool. <laughs> the Japanese are mean and crazy, but the Nazis... Well, no, the Nazis, because everything's based on belief and the ridiculous propaganda was Aryans are supermen. So are we trying to say that the Japanese did not have a fanatical belief system during World War II? In the individual? Yes, they really did. They were extremely fanatical. That's why you had all Fanatical, but not, I'm the best. I don't think being the best is the important thing. I think just having an extremely strong belief is the important part. It's just, or being placed under extraordinary duress. You'll note that because all of the the American ones are like, I survived an explosion, that's how I got my powers. Well, yeah, because they think, oh, I need to survive this. Uh Uh-huh. And the Japanese guys are all like, I'm going to throw myself to, you know. Yeah, I'm ready to die. Yeah. And well, so they, then their powers should all be related around death, but there oh, should yeah, be... Oh, yeah, all of their powers were related around they'll... death. They all had the power to die. <laughs> I know you're trying to do a devil's advocate here thing thing here, <laughs> but but uh, realistically, this game should have had more Japanese people. I mean, it should have had a lot, and I know that there are supplements for this game, and I'm sure that there are some that are like... It doesn't matter whether or not there's supplements. The book says there's less Japanese heroes in this time period. Oh, I know. Because Japanese people were crazy and mean. It's the problem of... <sighs> Because the book was like, oh, I hate metaplots, and not metaplots in the sense of the book tells you exactly what the events are, but in that you have to buy a bunch of books to find out what happens. Mm -hmm. Instead, you just get everything that happens in one book. And so that means any supplement you put out is essentially just some more ideas about powers and maybe going like, 
microscopic on certain areas of the war, mm-hmm. but we already know in the grand scheme how everything was. <sighs> Why don't we talk about a few other countries and their one superpower that they ever got? Why don't we start with India? I mean, they got more than that. That's, I know, that's but the there's only one. one guy with a name from India. The Indian dude with a name has, he's one of the characters who has so the fuck too many powers that it's stupid. Uh, and he has decided to call himself Lord Yama after the Indian god of death, of course, because what else is there about India but they're crazy gods, am I right? Uh, and his- See, I think that's just you being racist. Uh, no, I'm perceiving racism. <laughs> it's not racist to perceive racism. That is the worst tactic to take. <laughs> <laughs> no, man. There's also someone who thinks he's Jesus. That's, that's an American. That's also pretty racist. I was just about to get to it. <laughs> How is that racist? It's not, uh, well, if okay, you follow fine. a religion and you're like, I gained superpowers and now I think I'm part of my religion. Okay, again, it comes down to a matter of numbers. There's like a hundred American superheroes in this fucking book. There is one Indian dude with a name and powers, and he immediately chose one of his own gods to pretend to be. <laughs> he, well, he didn't choose that. Mm-hmm. He just woke up and was like, I'm the god of death because I was just dead. Yeah, and he has way too many powers. He, he has a, a super high command, so everybody's fanatically devoted to him. Uh, he can grant people instant death. He can grant people life and immunity from death. Uh, he can super train people. He's got a ton of powers. And he eventually founds his own country where he welcomes everybody. And, uh, it, yeah, he's super pacifistic, though. Mm-hmm. He's like, look, if you, his followers if you aren't come to my country, yeah. then you can just come here. We accept anyone. You get to live in peace. Mm-hmm. But if anyone tries to come in here and start shit, you get fucked. Yeah. And uh, why don't you, let's go ahead and let's hear your devil's advocate take on the last one that I wanted to bring up here, John. Uh, aside from the guy in America who gets all the powers of a wild Jesus and becomes <laughs> Jesus man. Uh, he's just, you could just set him aside. He's just a weird little contact example. Uh, instead, I want to talk about the tribal people of like Burma. Yeah, that's and, the worst thing in this book. And, and like, uh, yeah, those people, they, they get superpowers, but they're tribal magic. And unlike with everyone else's superpowers, they can train each other in them. Yeah, they get to do spells, and it's not about, oh, I have flight. It's, I can cast a spell that will make someone fly, mm-hmm. and I can teach this to my protege, and when I'm no longer the shaman of this tribe, then it will pass along to my person in training, and that's that's how tribal superpowers work. Unnecessary, it's, just racism. It's, it's just some cultural essentialism. Yeah, at least the other ones I'm like, oh, everything plays within the rules that you have already set down. Yeah. Like, at least everything else is, oh, yeah, if someone has, like, either a belief or a religion or something ingrained to them to the point where they're like, oh, what do I latch on to at the moment of death? Religion. It would make a lot of sense to say, yeah, a bunch of people would probably have uh religion religious ideas about what they are i am a hundred percent certain that an entire cult in america would say that these are chosen of god Mm -hmm. the other one that's a little stupid is the russian guy who who uh goes so crazy that he turns himself into baba yaga's house yes that's stupid that'd be like if i was if i went so crazy that i turned into johnny appleseed it's (laughs) it's not a religious thing it's just a folklore from that part of the world yeah, but that is one of the other things in this book that we hadn't mentioned is if you go full crazy, then you get ultra powerful. You get Yeah, you get way extra superpowers. That's the only one who's really crazy super powerful. The, the only other guys are Jesus Man technically has like all the Superman. Power. There There's was guy- a guy who decides he is Superman. He has invulnerability, flight, laser vision, the whole package. Mm-hmm. But eventually he goes even crazier and he's like, ah, this war is terrible. We must stop it and starts like 
killing his own soldiers. They lobotomize him. Uh, so he's not super enough to stop from being lobotomized. Uh, there's the wild Jesus guy who eventually just gets taken away and put in prison because he keeps pretending to be Jesus. Uh, and then there's the Baba Yaga's hut, which is a Russian guy who's so crazy that he turns himself into a folk, to- folk tale and just wanders the Russian countryside being a giant house that kills things. Yeah. But again... I think they're vastly overplaying the regular, at the average Russian person's interest in the legend of Baba Yaga. I don't know. I'm pretty interested in Baba Yaga. <laughs> I feel like you should take the average generic Russian guy and you're like, hey, how invested are you in the legend of a witch who lives in a house with chicken legs? And, and they go, oh, exceedingly so much, except I don't like the chicken legs. I'd like it to be a bunch of crustacean legs instead. Yeah, that, that pissed me off that mm-hmm. it wasn't chicken legs. Yeah. I was like, I'm fine if you want to become Baba Yaga's hut. That's fine i don't give a shit that mm. makes sense but as soon as they were like oh and it has like a ton of crab legs i went whoa 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 hold the fuck up yeah no hi <laughs> uh, yeah i went so crazy in america that i decided to become pecos bill uh except that instead of riding tornadoes around i ride around avalanches Eh, double fingers uh, that's terrible yeah. i i decided that i'm paul bunyan and i grew huge and now i have my friend babe the blue pig <laughs> No, it's wrong. It's all wrong. Uh, okay. Uh, so and I'm a miner, not a lumberjack now, just so you know. Oh, no, that's also wrong. I'm John Henry, the copper driving man. <laughs> yeah, I drive coppers. Ah, see? <laughs> so there's a lot of places in this book where I feel like they miss the mark. And I feel like we are harping a lot about it because there's such a good like yeah kernel of a game in oh, here it's a killer idea like i love well i mean we can get into the best and worst honestly right now sure we, we've been talking for a long fucking time for yeah, our normal sure. episode so sure because my favorite thing in this is the modular superpowers mm-hmm. they're what, great whatever you want to do even if something doesn't have a perk or a penalty listed to it you can come up with something if you want to make something like oh i've got uh some power but i can't use it outside of combat so i'll take us a level down from it Mm -hmm. or i make it less robust i can do a harm effect but i can only do it if i point at someone so that if my hands are tied i can't zap anybody yeah it's really neat it's a it's a good engine for building powers yeah and it lets you be very creative in how you want to do it what it looks like it's just there to be reskinned because Harm is the power for, like, did you want to shoot lasers? Great. Did you want to shoot plasma from your dick? Great. Anything that does damage to someone over there is harm. Great. That's yeah. your power. No, it's super... Skin however you want. Yeah, it's great. Uh, the problem is that it's an engine that they don't give you enough gas for. They intentionally do not give you enough gas to make a cool character. It's true. Which is why I'm going to give myself plenty of gas for that <laughs> bonus content. I'm not making a schlub. <laughs> I'm making a rad dude. All right. I'm making rad McDooderson. <laughs> I like the dice mechanics of this game. I'm going to say that's my favorite part. I like the breadth with hard dice, wiggle dice. Uh, we did, we barely even got a chance to talk about gobble dice, which is a defense system uh, where you can, if you have a, a defense, it automatically eats the number of successes out of another person's die pool. Yeah. So you could be like, oh, if I'm defending and I get two sixes, it means I can gobble a die from any match six or below Mm -hmm. so if they matched 
two sevens, I wouldn't be able to affect it. But if they match two fives, I could take one of those away, and now he doesn't succeed. Yeah. So, so I like the dice, the basic dice mechanics of this game. Uh, they're clever. They're they're an inventive use of uh, of a way to roll a bunch of dice and read the results. Yeah. Uh, now I've gotten burned on liking dice mechanics before, like when I liked the Cthulhu Tech dice mechanics because they did a lot of poker hand looking at, and people were like, "Actually, it's mathematically very stupid." Yeah, that's so, fine. It's, so I still like it. It yeah. doesn't matter that it's bad. Yeah. So I I reserve judgment for the for people who come in and are like, "Mathematically, this is a terrible dice system," mm. but I like it. It's a neat idea. Yeah. So I'm gonna say that's my favorite thing. Although it would have been the modular powers, I just wanted to have two. Yeah, that's fine. What's your least favorite? Oh. I would say the fact that you just, you can't do anything in this that's It's got that Torg-style, don't-touch-my-meta-plot bullshit. There's, because it already has everything laid out for you, mm-hmm. and because they make any starting character so weak, you're like, oh, could I change the war? No, of course not. You can't do anything. In fact... The way that we've made this, and because we want it to be so gritty realism, you probably get shot the first week you're in the war by some random dude, mm. and it didn't matter that you had the ability to, like, turn invisible and shoot lasers from your eyes, because someone just sprayed an area with bullets and you got hit. Yeah. Yeah, it's, uh... Honestly, if I were to pick a least favorite thing, it might literally be a single example from the book, sure. which is the description of how you uh, of how bulletproof works if you oh, buy that power. Oh God, yes! So bulletproof makes you immune to something. Uh, it's not really bulletproof. It's no, just, it's, it's, immunity it's immunity is a power, and you pick something you're immune to. So the example they give you is a guy who has chosen immunity kinetic energy, so that if he gets shot with bullets, he doesn't get hurt. Uh, and the way it works is, if any bullets hurt you, the power gets turned off, and you have to turn it back on the next round. Uh, so what the the example is? There's this dude, and he has base a, a fairly high level of of bullet immunity, and he goes walking towards a single Nazi armed with a single Nazi machine or, or submachine gun, and the Nazi shoots a spray at him and misses a couple times and gets one bullet through. Uh, so he takes a little bit of damage and his power turns off. The next round he tries to activate his power. He rolls trip eights. Uh, the Nazi, however, rolls double tens. Uh, which means that because of the, the, I'm sorry, triple tens. So he goes first and instantly shoots this guy in the head and murders him before he gets his power off. Yeah. So their example is you can buy bulletproof to be immune to bullets for one round, uh, and and you would have died to that round if you hadn't bought bulletproof, and uh, you will die the next round. And it's just one more example of oh, you probably should have bought hyper cool because then you would have just succeeded and turned your power back on. Mm-hmm. Hyper cool is, it feels too good. Hypercool is way too good because then you could just make a hard die in in uh, bulletproof and always be or two hard dice in bulletproof and be like uh, I have two tens and then I have seven more or five more tens yeah uh, so you can't ever possibly hit me with anything no matter what um, and I mean one of the other powers you can get is goes first mm-hmm. so you can be super cool and goes first and be like yeah I have a width of ten base I just uh, whatever but ultimately this example where it's like hey here's a cool power you could buy you could be straight up bulletproof here's the story of a bulletproof guy that di- uh, that died the first time he tried to be bulletproof yeah here's Spend the story of, a, this of a bulletproof guy that died to bullets and you're like mm, I, if you had at least gone oh a Nazi shot at him with bullets and he shrugged them off and was like haha I had a little tickle in my tummy but it was only a shock damage and then another Nazi came up with a flamethrower and killed him let that be a lesson you're not invulnerable to everything you have an immunity that would be an example where I go, oh, okay, make sure that as a player you don't think that you can't be killed. Yeah. But this one was, oh, you bought a power to do a thing. It doesn't work. Thanks for the points, Here you stupid. Go. 
So I'm going to say that generally anytime this game has the fun detector is going to be my least favorite thing. All right. So there you have it. Would you play this game? I would. Yeah. If this was being run at a convention or something and I had time open during it, I would want to check it out just to see what is it people are running when they run a godlike session? Are yeah. they running it within the timeline? Do they want to run an alternate version that's their own thing? Like, I'm I'm interested to see what type of play people do with this. Yeah, I would play this if I were allowed to set aside the hard code timeline that is the back half of the book <laughs> that starts in, in uh, the, during the Summer Olympics of 1936 and ends about three days after the Japanese surrender. Uh, I would like some World War II to play with, please. <laughs> please, uh, please let me do this. Uh, instead of a day-by-day, paragraph-long breakdown of every single thing that happened ever, Yeah, uh, I would be... I would not want that. I would like to be able to play in my Weird War II settings and have a good time. So yep. I, there's a condition, but otherwise, yes. Okay. All right. And there you have it. That's uh, that's godlike, and we've been talking for a very long time, so why don't we do some plugs? Yeah. John, let me ask you a question. Are you aware that you wrote a book? Holy shit. <laughs> oh, God. Oh, oh, no. Oh, no, you're having them Stephen King Coke flashbacks. <laughs> Oh, I gotta, I gotta call my sponsor. Wait, did I write this? Omni knockers? <laughs> Fuck! Wait a minute, what is, what is this? Oh, oh no, the Langoliers. What did I do? <laughs> uh, so we did write a book. It's called "The Dragon Walks Into a Bar," and it's available from a link on our website, which takes you to the Simon and Schuster website, or you can just buy it on Amazon or anywhere else that fine books are yeah, stored. You can go sold. to Barnes and Nobles or Hell, whatever. People, people have been sending me receipts that to show that they went to their local bookstore and special pre-ordered it. Which is great. Yeah. I would prefer you do that, honestly. That's fantastic. So but so uh, this book, is it's a book of jokes about role-playing games. It's literally a book of jokes. I don't want you to think it's a book of, like, charming stories and witticisms, like... like <laughs> the wit and witticism of John and Jeff. Yeah, it's not, it's not one of those books written by, like, a Western guy called You Have to Buy Your Wife As Much Jewelry As You Buy Your Horse. It's literally page after page, Why Did the Dragon Do This?, because this happened. Yeah. It's a scholastic joke book about role-playing games. I want to be very clear, but it's great. And but you it should is buy great. It. And, and it's, buy it. It is cheap, and buy it for people for the holidays, because it'll help us a lot. Yeah. And we'll help you a lot, because we're, we have a couple different promotions we're running for the book right now. Uh, the first one is if you're on our Discord and you buy the book, you automatically get a purple text color that will only be available until December 1st, and then we'll turn that uh, turn off the availability for it forever. Yeah, you got less than a month at this point. Mm-hmm. The other one is for each person who shows us a receipt of a pre-order, either through an email or uh, just sending us a DM on the Discord, uh, we will add that to a tally, and when the when December hits, that tally will become the number of things we have to list that we hate about Dungeons & Dragons and how to fix each one. Yeah. Eventually, we will tally me banana. Mm-hmm. And we'll make a podcast. We might, at this point, we've quite sold quite a few books. We might have to make more than one podcast. It's possible. It, we might have to make a couple of bonus shows. Those will be available to, for free to everybody. Uh, so if you'd like to torture us, because we're really we have to we have to think of a lot of things right now as it stands. I don't want to go back to D and D and talk about that again. We just got done with it. <laughs> I thought I was done. But uh, you can you can uh, just pre-order the book and send it to us, and that will generate more content for you. Okay. Yeah. We also have pins available on our Etsy store. Uh, Google up System Mastery and Etsy in a single line, and you'll be able to buy our fancy pins. Our new soft enamel line of pins include uh, the Cheese Dude, the Punch Witch, Helga the Punch Witch, an old John bonus content character, goddamn, and Donkey Talk stuff. Yeah. Uh, They're reasonably priced. You can buy them right now, and I will mail them to you myself. Great. Mm -hmm. And then finally, there's the Patreon. 
patreon.com slash systemmaster where you go to support us to get our bonus content. If you support us at the $1 level, you will receive a bonus content episode to this episode uh, where we make characters in the godlike engine. Uh, there are two other levels you can support us at that will get you additional bonus shows, up to as many as a floor of seven extra shows a month. Yeah. It's great. So you get a lot of stuff. Five bucks, uh, five bucks, uh, a system mastery episode gets you seven bonus podcasts a month. It's crazy. It's uh, it's a deal. So that's patreon.com slash system mastery. Otherwise, like and subscribe and hit that bell and whatever. And yeah, tell your friends. Mm-hmm. Well, you'll get a notification whenever we got a new cool video where I try not to laugh at memes. Look, guys, if I spin this fin- this fidget spinner on my finger for thirty full un- uninterrupted seconds while dancing around to a dance remix of the uh, the five nights at freddy's theme song then you have to smash that like and subscribe button <laughs> also i'll send you a gift card yeah i'm gonna send you a gift card one of you it's a card with a gif on it <laughs> actually that'd be kind of neat it's not animated it's oh. just a gif <laughs> never mind then uh, uh, well, what if it was one of those like uh what are they the called? little the, the, like uh, hollow there's a term things. for that that yeah yeah whatever yeah uh all right well there you have it thank you so much for listening we uh we hope to see you later for more content and have a good week